And God, we desire to do your will above everything else. Father, it's easy for us to say that. It's easy for us to say that we worship you and that we love you on Sundays, but quite another thing to do it on Wednesdays, on Fridays. Father, we pray that our entire life would be focused on you, our commitment to you above all else. Father, as we go through life, it's easy to spend time worrying about our money, worrying about our finances, worrying about our career, worrying about our family, worrying about our taxes, worrying about all these things that are important, but without you are not, we are not able to fulfill them, we're not able to complete them, we're not able to do well by them. Father, you are the one who makes our life have meaning, that makes it have beauty, that makes it have value, that makes it have truth, that makes it have peace. And Father, it is you that we want to get to know. It is you that we want to be refined by. Father, we're going to just take a moment this morning, Lord. I know that for each of us there is sin, there's struggle, there's issues in our lives. That, Father, we don't do the things that you want us to do. We fail to do the things that we need to do. We just mess it up sometimes. And so, God, we're just going to take a moment right now, each of us individually, to go to you, ask for forgiveness. Father, so that you might be able to forgive us, that we could come before you with everything in order this morning. Let's just do that. Let's just take the time. Let's be honest. Look in the mirror. Let's go to God. Just ask for forgiveness. And Father, forgive us of those things, Lord. And this morning... We just thank you that we are able to be forgiven, that we are able to have, a, to have a life that is not problematic, that is not broken, but is fulfilled by you. Father, we thank you that you have opened the door to this, and we pray that we would take those steps necessary to make that a reality, to make that happen in our lives. Father, we pray this morning that your Holy Spirit would just come into our lives, fill us up, be here this morning, making us into the person that you want us to be. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're working through our uh, series, Good to Great, uh, with apologies to Jim Collins. If you've ever read this business book, it's a bestseller called Good to Great. We're really not going to talk anything about the hedgehog principle or anything like that. Uh, we're just actually just bar stealing, um, you know, just totally stealing the title and the subtext of the book from Jim Collins. Um, and uh, Good to Great, how we can avoid lukewarmness in our lives. Uh, Jim Collins, the subtext of the book is that companies that are good almost never become great. You know why they almost never become great? Because they just are happy with goodness. They're just happy with being number three, number four, number five in their field. They don't really care about doing the work that is required to become number one. And so we've been talking about how lukewarmness challenges us uh, to remain lukewarm, that when we are a follower of Christ, it is tempting for us to kind of become a believer, to come to church, to kind of sit in a pew, and to just be lukewarm, and that lukewarmness is the enemy of being on fire for God. Our five-week series then for our New Year's is on not being lukewarm. We don't want to be lukewarm. You don't want to be lukewarm. 
We're going to talk about this issue of lukewarmness here um, this morning a little bit further. You, the or, the subtext of the series is how good is the enemy of great and how lukewarmness is the enemy of hot. The temptation, again, that you're going to have is that when you become a believer in Christ is to settle down in your pew when you come to church at Easter or Christmas. Sort of do the minimal that you can. Be comfortable with that. Honorable mention, limbo, as we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk a lot about limbo. Limboing our way into heaven, right? Just as the pearly gates are closing. The problem is, is that that's not a reality. That's not an actuality. That's a dream. And it's a dream that doesn't work out for most people who try it that way. We've been talking about Francis Chan's book also, Crazy Love. I haven't read it. But uh, it's kind of its most popular book right now in Christian circles. And uh, it's kind of controversial because Francis Chan argues from Revelation 3, which we looked at in the first week, that it is impossible for a lukewarm person to be a Christian. There's no such thing as a lukewarm Christian. There are either people who are on fire for God or people who are not at all. And so even though I don't fully agree with his premise, he has a lot of good arguments. And so if I were a lukewarm person this morning, I would take those arguments very seriously. And in fact, that's why we're doing this series, because if you're lukewarm, we don't want you to be lukewarm anymore. Lukewarm doesn't work for anybody. It doesn't work for you. It doesn't work for your family. It doesn't work for God. It doesn't work for anybody. So we're going to challenge you this morning not to be lukewarm. I want you to feel bad. Hopefully nobody's got mad and felt bad over the last couple of weeks. This morning, not trying to make you feel bad, just trying to hold the mirror up to all of our faces, me included, you know, the hypocrite sign. We still haven't installed that. We are going to do it with a new build and put the hypocrite sign up here. We can flash it all you want at me. It's fine. It's all good. Um, that's the way life is. All right, here's our strategy. Uh, real quickly, uh, first week we talked, we, in the warming up part, we talked about Revelation chapter 3, which talks about the church in Laodicea, and it has that passage, that verse in there that says basically that, uh, that God's desire for our lives is to be either hot or cold, and that if not, Jesus will puke us out of his mouth. If you've never been to church before and you think it's weird the pastor saying puke, well, it's in the Bible. And actually, it's not in the nice vomit way, you know. It's really just puke, okay? That's what it is. I didn't put pictures up there on the bulletin board, the PowerPoint, because I didn't want to gross anybody out, but you get the idea, right? The reason why is because God wants us to be committed to him. If we make a covenant with God, we make a commitment with God, we say, I do. We say, God, I'm going to serve you the rest of my life. God wants you to actually follow through on that commitment. We talked about the first week about how in our, in our society, in English, when we read that passage where it says we should be either hot or cold and not lukewarm, that we say, okay, well, hot means we're, we're excited about God. Cold means we hate God. God just saying be lukewarm. That's the way we interpret it today. If we lived in the first century, though, we would understand it differently because in the first century, they were piping in the water from Laodicea, came through the aqueduct. There were hot springs over there. There was no water that they could, they could get to in Laodicea. And so they were piping the water in from the hot springs. The hot springs were considered to be good. You went, you sat in them, you could drink the water. It was okay. When the water came through the aqueduct, the sediment got all mixed up in the water. And when you got the water right out of the aqueduct at that point, you tried to drink it. It was tepid. It was filled with sediment. It was nasty. It was disgusting. You wanted to puke it out of your mouth, okay? What the Laodiceans would do is put the water in the, in the canister, the stone jar. they put it by the house. After a couple days, especially nightfall, the sediment would go out. The water would cool. It would be drinkable. So in the ancient world, if you were like, I'm ice cold for Jesus, everyone went like, okay, awesome. <laughs> that doesn't work in English because we don't use it that way. So you can, we're just going to use the metaphor for hot. But, but, but God wants us to be committed to him, whether we're ice cold for him or whether we're burning up hot for him. God wants us to be committed 
um, do him. So we talked about this first week. Obviously, the church in Laodicea, real quickly, first week that we mentioned, has some parallels with the church in the West because the church in Laodicea was very wealthy. So everybody had everything they needed. They had their job. They had a roof over their head. They had their clothing. They had their food. They didn't need God anymore. They didn't need God because they had their basic stuff. And we're not still sure if God's going to provide us with, you know, the Ferrari that we always wanted, right? He's probably not, okay? And so the thing is, is that our wealth and the stuff that we have will keep us from being hot. Now, the next week we talked about smoldering and we, you know, trying to get, trying to move out of lukewarmness, trying to get hot. And one of the issues that we talked about is that it is almost impossible for a lukewarm person to get hot. I mean... As I've been a pastor for 15 years, it is very rare for a lukewarm person to go from lukewarm to hot. Once you get stuck lukewarm, I don't know. I just have to be honest with you. I mean, if I was doing a series here on forgiveness, it'd be like, okay, here's the three steps of forgiveness. You know, it's difficult, but it's kind of cut and dry. But transforming lukewarm people to hot people, boy, that's, that's a hard thing. Because it requires you to actually requires people to actually do something, to, to, to say enough is enough. I could see all your faces two weeks ago when I, did this, when I did this message, part two, which is what? Because I said, what's the easiest way for a person to go from lukewarm to hot? Anybody remember? That's right, personal tragedy, death and destruction. We don't want to face that. I was just being honest that when a personal person goes through tragedy, that's probably the best thing that will move them from lukewarm to hot. Because once you calcify, once you sort of Velcro your behind to the seat in the pew, it's almost impossible to get you out of it. And so to get out of it, we talked about several things. And one of the ways is that we have to experience God. That without personal experience of God, nothing is going to motivate you to get out of being lukewarm. Nothing is going to motivate you. We have the desire also, we talked about real quickly that week, is the desire to give up. You know, when things go bad, we just say, I don't need church, I don't need God, I don't need this. We just throw in the towel, sure sign of lukewarmness. And by the way, that lukewarmness will not benefit us as we go through life. You know, if you're married and the first time you have a problem at your work and you go home and say, honey, this marriage is not working out, I'm leaving right? How good of a life are you going to have? How good of a marriage are you going to have? How good of anything are you going to have if you give up that quickly? But most people give up that quickly. Most people in the West give up that quickly. You know why they give up? Because they have everything they need. They have their food, they have their clothes, they have their car, they have their house, and so they don't need church and they don't need God because they have everything they need. But God challenges not to be like that. Last week, real quickly, we sizzled or we started to sizzle a little bit and we talked about this whole issue of godly sorrow versus worldly sorrow. And I challenge you that a good way, this is, I know this is not a normal thing. Uh, we don't, you probably never, some people say, I've never been in church and heard this before. But one of the things that happens is that each of us are broken. We've talked about this in the past. We each struggle with our brokenness. We each struggle with our sinfulness. We don't do the things we want to do. We do the things that we don't want to do. This is what the Bible defines as being sin. It's that thing that we do that rebels against God. Sin is not doing bad things. Doing bad things can be sin. Sin is when we rebel against God. And so we rebel against God, and the problem is we have a choice to experience either worldly sorrow or godly sorrow. Worldly sorrow is what? Anybody remember from last week? What is worldly sorrow? 
What is worldly sorrow? First service smarter than you guys? What is worldly sorrow? Anybody remember? Very good. It's not getting what we want. We experience worldly sorrow when we have 100 bucks and we lose that 100 bucks. Because we're sad because we couldn't spend it on a new game for my PlayStation 3. Right? That's what we're sad about. We're not really, really, we're not, it doesn't change our lives. We're just sad about it. And so the Bible talks about worldly sorrow as not getting what we want. Not getting the promotion we want. Not getting the money that we want. Not getting what we think we need. Not getting what we deserve, we think we deserve. Godly sorrow is when we take a look in the mirror and we realize that we are not the man or woman that we could be or should be because of our mistakes and brokenness. And godly sorrow makes us hurt inside. It convicts us and it makes us go to God and say, God, forgive me and I want to do differently. I want to turn my life around. I want to serve you. Godly sorrow is difficult. We don't want to go look in the mirror and face our failings, our fallibility, our mistakes. But godly sorrow is necessary to be move out of lukewarmness, to no longer be lukewarm. Lukewarmness, by its definition, is just tepid. It's just in the middle. It's just sort of, yeah, right? And if we're happy with our life being, yeah, then we're okay. If we're not, then things have to change. Today, we're going to talk about burning up. We're going to start burning up this morning, and we're going to talk about something that's going to be really critical for us, I think, if we want to move out of being lukewarm, and it deals with the issue of what we know and what we do, um, which is really, really critical. Now, in first service, I was so exhausted, I don't think any of my examples made sense. I'm going to apologize to those guys next week. I'm going to try to make the examples make sense, but here's the problem with the examples I'm going to use. The examples I'm going to use, a lot of you are going to be like, are you calling me dumb, Pastor? No, I'm not calling anybody dumb. I'm not calling, and you put the hypocrite sign on me, but I'm saying that we have to wake up from our desire at mediocrity. Most people who go to church are happy with mediocrity in their spiritual lives. I don't want to be mediocre. I don't want you to be mediocre, and so I'm challenging you to get beyond your mediocrity. All right? We cool on that? Here we go. Uh, we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 5, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. Uh, why don't you do that? We're going to look at a couple passages there. It's going to be up on the Jumbotron as well. Uh, but uh, Hebrews chapter 5, uh, go ahead and open up there. And uh, starting in verse um, 12 of Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12. All right, here's what the Bible says. Um, this is a letter to the, the Jewish people here um, this is what the Bible says. You have been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Now, the, the, we're kind of coming into this in the middle, but basically there's frustration because there's lots of people who are basically should, in, in the church that they're writing to, should be able to be mature in their faith, should not be lukewarm anymore, but are staying in lukewarmness. You have been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. You are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. Solid food is for those who are mature, who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. So let us stop going over the basic teachings about Christ again and again. Let us go on instead and become mature in our understanding. 
Surely we don't need to start again with the fundamental importance of repenting from evil deeds, for example, and placing our faith in God, for example. For example, you don't need further instruction about baptisms, the laying out of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And so, God willing, we will move forward to further understanding. Okay? So, let me just warn you, the Bible is calling some of you babies, not me. All right? I'm not going to do it. The Bible is, okay? So let's talk about this issue and what we can do about it. What makes a person go from lukewarm to hot? Well, <laughs> you got me because I'm telling you what, this is hard. For some reason, we calcify, we become lukewarm, and to get you out of lukewarmness, it's tough. Here we go. Here's what we're going to do. First of all, three ideas this morning to get out of lukewarmness. We must get past the basics of faith. We got to get past the basics. See, there are just some basic things that we learn when we become a Christian that's really awesome, but they're really basic. If you walk into church for the first time this Sunday, there's going to be a lot of things I'm saying that's going to be brand new to you. And that's awesome. That's good. I'm really excited about that. You know why? Because it's new and you're learning and it's, you've never heard this before. And that's, that's really great. But if you've been in here 20 years and I'm telling you something this morning that that you've never heard before, there's a problem with that because we're talking about basic issues. We're talking about basic things. How many of you guys seen that movie 17 again with Zac Efron? How many of you like Zac Efron? Ramir, okay. Eric, you guys, yeah, he's, I know he's hot. All right, right, exactly, right? So the thing is, is that that movie's about what? The 40-year-old guy who gets to go back and do high school again, right? And it's funny, I guess, if, because... He transforms into a 17-year-old. But it's not funny if a 40-year-old dude actually went back to high school, took algebra, and hit on the cheerleaders, right? We would call that sick, right? Not funny. And so the thing is, is that it's not cool for us to be 40-year-old Christians and to be still looking back to what the basics of high school or Sunday school is supposed to teach us. It's not cool to do that because we should be beyond that. We should be more advanced than that. We must get past the basics of the faith if we want to be able to move out of lukewarmness. Listen, Paul writes, or the author of Hebrews, you have been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. You are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. See, when we first become believers, we do take baby steps. Like I said, that's normal, that's good, that's awesome. Everybody has to take baby steps. That's normal. We expect that. You know, you're not going to learn how to read until you, until you work out C-spot run, C-jack run. The ball, right? That's necessary. That's a part of it. The problem is, is when you're 40 and you're still going to all in your spiritual life, right? By the way, if you struggle with literacy, I'm not making fun of the struggle over literacy. I'm just making a joke in general. Okay, so I don't want anybody to feel bad about that. But that's what happens, right? If you're 40 years old and in your native language, you're still pronouncing it that way, something's a problem. Something's an issue. When we first become believers, we do baby steps. It's normal, but it's also expected that we're going to move out of those baby steps and we're going to do something else with our lives. 
Let me just ask this question this morning. What are the basics of the faith? I mean, what are these baby steps that when a person comes in to church that they're going to first learn, when they first experience who Christ is and who God is, that they're going to kind of understand? Now, let me mention something here. Let me, I, I did this in the end of the service last time because I forgot. Let me just say this up front. In the English, we use two ideas about learning. Cognitive, meaning the mind, and then there's also the heart where we feel emotions. So we put a big wall and we say the mind learns and the heart feels, right? But in the ancient world, besides the fact that they didn't really divide it up that way, there's a big issue of will. You know what will is, guys? We know what will is, right? When your football coach is yelling at you and tell you will do this, right? And we do it even though we don't want to do it. That's will, willpower, okay? And so in the ancient world, they didn't differentiate knowing and feeling and will the way that we do, which is totally separated they viewed knowing and will together. They saw all these things much more together. So when I talked to this morning about knowing, it also means doing too. When the Bible talks about knowing what is right, it means knowing and doing what is right because you are willing yourself to take hold of this knowledge and make it a reality in your life. Well, let me just ask, what are the basics of the faith that we should know and will and do in our lives? Some of the basics include, this is just an example, just slide. If you were making it up, maybe you'd come up with different ones. But who is Jesus and why he died? That would be a basic. What faith and grace is? That would be a basic. What baptism is for? What sin is and how to be forgiven? How to love God and love others? How to tell others what God has done for you and pray and read your Bible regularly? Right? I mean, these would just be basic things that we would expect a basic Christian, a baby Christian to understand at some point in time after being in church for a while, after making a commitment of faith, right? Now, here's the thing. Many Christians just stay in this basic phase. That's the problem. Many Christians still are like, wait a minute, uh, what do you, you know, I don't understand, uh, I don't understand what grace is, you know? As a pastor, I spend most of my time, 90% of the time, explaining to people and I, I don't want you to get mad with me because it's not, I mean, BBC is much larger than the people who come on Sunday. People email me all the time. I come Easter. I need your help on this. A lot, a lot of people, okay? But 90% of the questions I get are for people who have claimed to be Christians for years, and yet they're asking me very, very basic questions. Like, I don't understand what baptism is. I don't understand what grace is, Right? The problem is, is that when we stay stuck on the basics, we're never able to get beyond it, and we're never able to get out of lukewarmness. We're stuck in lukewarm area. We just stay in this baby step phase. We're going to talk about why in a minute, but that's what we do. We just stay baby step. Look, if you've been a Christian for a couple years or more, and you cannot explain the basics of the faith, I'm sorry to tell you this morning, you're most probably lukewarm. Okay? Hebrews 5, not me. Don't get mad with me. I'm just a messenger. That's really a cop-out. Don't you hate when people say, I'm just a messenger? Hey, uh, I really hate your sweater, but I'm just a messenger this morning, you know? <laughs> All right, so I'm not trying to be like that. But seriously, the thing is, is that you can, you can be mad with me. But the truth is, is that if you've been a Christian for a couple years and you're still struggling with some of these basic things, you're probably lukewarm. Let me ask you a question. If you teach in school, if you have a professional job, if you have a semi-professional job, and you don't know the basics of that job, are you going to instill confidence in other people? You will not. CJ, I'll just pick on him. I picked on Kirk in the first service. CJ teaches in middle school, correct? 
I'm sorry? Elementary. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. He teaches in elementary school. If CJ can't read, that would be a problem. Why? Well, we're assuming he can read. I don't know for certain. But uh, if he cannot read, that would be a problem. Why? Because he's responsible. He needs to be able to teach other people how to read. CJ, we would say, if he could not read, is he a good teacher or a bad teacher? You know, every year in the news, there's always some teacher who gets fired from a school because they're illiterate. It happen, I read it, all, I mean, not all the time, but like on average, once a year in America, it happens. Some teachers found out to be, they can't read, and so they get fired. By the way, these are not people who come over from another country who can't read English. These are people who grew up in this country who can't read English, they're teachers, just to be clear. I know when you learn second language, it's more difficult. Would we have confidence in that person? You know, let me just do this. If you've been a Christian for a couple years or more, can I explain the basic faith? You're most probably lukewarm. Let's do, let's do the little game like this. You might be a lukewarm Christian if, right, for example, you think all good people go to heaven. That would be a surefire sign of being lukewarm right there. Um, you think murder is a worse sin than being a good person who rejects God. You think baptism has something to do with purifying you from your sins. You pray only when bad things happen. Now, those are just some examples. They're not examples to make you feel bad. They're examples to motivate you. If, you've, if this is the first time you've ever been in a church and you don't know this, don't worry about it. You've got plenty of time. But if you've been in church for 10 years and some of those things are like, oh my gosh, I didn't know that. Is that a sign I'm lukewarm? Yeah, most probably. <laughs> because again, you're the 40-year-old person who's still sitting in high school thinking it's cool not to pass algebra. You're the person who is excited, in a sense, about being mediocre about your faith. The problem is God doesn't want you to be mediocre. He wants you to be the best. He wants you to be the best at what you do. He wants you to be the best person that you can be. He wants you to strive for the best. He doesn't want you to take second place or third place, especially not honorable mention. You know, in our society today, we, we celebrate mediocrity, if we're honest, right? Because everybody gets a gold star now. Everybody gets a trophy. As I know it's a social issue. I won't argue. We can debate that uh, on the social issue later. But everybody gets a gold star. And the problem is, is that there's a lot of people who treat church that way. They treat God that way. It's not even church. They treat God that way. They feel like that if they can just do the minimum, that somehow they're going to be okay with God, right? Someone asked me in life group this week. They said, you know, I don't, I don't think it's fair. I don't think it's fair that people get to be, you know, live their lives like hellions and do whatever they want, and then on their deathbed, they get to go to God and say, you know, God, I want to commit my life to you now, and, uh, you know, I'm going to go to heaven now, right? Well, the Bible talks about that in two ways. First of all, God does say that in the parable, the, when Jesus tells the parable of the workers in the vineyard, that if, he, if God wants to reward people the same way who do different amount of works, because he is the rewarder, he has the right to reward people however they want, okay? So the thief on the cross, if you guys have read your Bible, right, the guy that, that asked to be with Jesus in paradise, yes, he's with God. He asked God forgiveness. He's going to enter into the kingdom uh, with probably no knowledge, no ability, nothing to show for it, but he'll get in. But here's the thing. The chance of that happening, I have to tell you, is minimal, 
And you know why it's minimal? The Bible a lot of times uses lots of stories that are one in a million type stories to let us know where the parameters are, but not where the average thing is. There's a guy named Jonah. <laughs> People got mad with him. They threw him overboard, got swallowed by a fish three days. If I took Eric Castor and lugged his big heavy carcass over to Monterey and pitched him off the pier, is a fish going to swallow him for three days? No. Let me ask that again. If I take Eric Castor, lug his heavy carcass over there to Monterey, throw him off the pier, is he going to be swallowed by a fish? No, why not? Because that was God's plan for Jonah's life, not for Eric Castor's life. And so the problem is most people are look to be able to do it the last minute, but I've been, I mean, I, on occasion, every year, on occasion, a couple times a year, I have to go to the hospital, somebody's dying. A lot of times they're not a believer. Never... Let me say never, almost never, one or two exceptions, almost never, because they are exceptions, almost never does a person say, Pastor, I've lived my life like a hellion, and now I'm ready to go into the kingdom of God. They don't say that. They say, dude, I've rejected God this long. Ain't no point in knowing him now. Forget that stuff. I don't need that stuff. The problem is people don't limbo into into the kingdom, right? We get this idea that, hey, right on my deathbed, I'm going to just kind of, I can't do it, okay? I'm already too old. But the pearly gates are closing. You know, like in all the action movies, Indiana Jones and stuff, the gates closing real fast and the hero fights everybody and rolls under the gate right at the last second? People think that they're going to do that. They think, you know, I'm just going to just live my life however I want to and then I'm going to just limbo into the kingdom. I'm going to just get in on the minimum. I've got enough gold stars. I'm going to just get in and everything's going to be okay, but it doesn't work that way. Most people, first of all, die without knowing that they're going to die, even in our world today, on average. I mean, most people don't, you know, have the days in the hospital where they're thinking about it and can reflect on it. Some people do, but a lot of people don't. But most people, in my experience, by the time they get to that point, they're like, dude, I got so many arthritis and rickets, I can't limbo anywhere. I can't even bend over and touch my toes. There's no way I'm going to be able to roll under the pearly gates and get into heaven. And it's a lost cause. You know, lukewarmness, mediocrity will not serve you well. It will not serve you well. We must become mature in our faith. Becoming mature in our faith, understanding and willing ourselves to become mature is critical if we want to leave behind lukewarmness and we want to move towards having heat in our lives, to being hot for God, for being a follower of Him, deeply committed to Him. Knowing God through prayer and study graduates our faith, graduates our faith. Now, I know that in one sense of the word, the word graduate means you completed something, right? You, you, you get your robe, you walk down the aisle, get the diploma, you graduated. But the other meaning of the word graduate is just to continue to get better, get more. Um, you know, in chemistry, we use the word graduated to mean that it gets higher and higher, bigger and bigger. And, and so the more we study God's word, and the more we know him and the more we pray, the more we graduate in our faith. And that's really important because God doesn't want you to be sitting in church for 10 years and still asking baby questions and taking baby steps. That's not the time for baby. It's not fun. It's not cool. Here's the thing. A lukewarm person needs the basic truths of the faith repeated over, repeated for them over and over again because they have never accepted them to begin with. You know, why would a person who has been a follower of Jesus for 10 years have to ask, what is baptism? Have to ask, 
well, I don't understand grace. I don't even know what that is. That's what you say when you, when you pray at mealtime, right? That's what grace is, right? The, the reason why it is, we're going to talk about this in a minute, it's tempting for us to stay in this is because it's easier. It's easy. We don't have to learn to read. Learning to read is hard, right? Have you ever tried to read another language? A lot of you have. You've tried to read a second language, right? When you try to read a second language, it's harder. When you try to learn a second language, it's harder. And so it's easier just to not learn it, just easier not to know it, just easier just to avoid it. And it's easier for us to just say, nah, I'm not going to worry about God. I've got everything I need. I've got my food. I've got my friends. I've got my PlayStation 3, my Xbox 360, whatever it may be, my Mercedes S series. I've got it, dude. I don't need anything else. I've got it. I don't need God in my life. So a lukewarm person has to have the basic truths explained to them over and over and over again. You know one of the things that we say? We say things like, you know, all I ever needed to know I learned in kindergarten, right? And it's funny and like humorous and sad at the same time because I meet so many people who have that same attitude about church. They're like, everything I needed to know about God I learned in Sunday school the four times my mama dragged me between the ages of six and eight, right? And so I love, and I mean, it's, I, I, don't, I don't even, there's no, I haven't figured out the verb for these kind of conversations I have. But I sit, but somebody will say, hey, pastor, I've got a friend who wants to talk to you. Or, or when they're, or I'll meet them and they'll be like, yeah, I got some questions for you. And they'll be like, I don't believe in all this God stuff. I'll be like, okay, let's talk about it. And so they're like, well, you know, toha ba'al. Right? And they muster up some idea that they've read on the internet or they learned when they were in third grade the one time their mama drugged them to church. And they, this is their explanation for the Christian faith and why they don't embrace it or whatever. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. But most people are unwilling to do any type of diligence about knowing God because it is uncomfortable because God may actually ask them to do something different with their lives. Hey, nobody in the first service got this joke, so I'm going to tell it again. It's not a joke, but I'm going to tell it again, and maybe I'll do it better, but uh, maybe you guys will be more culturally savvy. You know a couple years ago when they uh, they had the Holiday Inn Express ads, and the person would say, you know, they would call him on the phone and say, we need a doctor or something like that. And he would say, well, I'm not a doctor, but I stayed in a Hollywood, uh, I stayed in a Holiday Inn Express, uh, and so I could deliver the baby or whatever, right? And the joke was, the ad, the ad joke was that if you stay in this motel, that you're, you're really smart for staying in this motel, and then you can do anything, right? And so the problem is, is that the church in the West believes that we've all stayed in Holiday Inn Expresses, right? That was the problem with the church in Laodicea. We're too smart, we're too rich, we're too good. God's got to let us get in. We're just going to slide right on in. Honorable mention, gold star, woohoo! That's all we need, right? That's all we need. But the Bible says that that is lukewarmness. That is us being babies if we take that route. That is us not being able to achieve all God wants to do for us. Let me mention something else here. Some examples of maturity would include and this is harder to make a list and so you'll have different ones i'm sure but for example able to weather life storm without losing faith right i mean when the economy went bad i had lost all lots of people leave church like i don't want to do god anymore because he didn't faithful to me because my investments didn't pay out 
Um, people, anytime anything bad happens, people always, the church God is the first thing to go when you're lukewarm. It is. B, serves in church for the long haul, right? Again, if somebody serves for a week, yeah, okay, awesome. But someone who's committed and mature in their faith and not lukewarm will, will, will serve no matter what the good or the bad is. They'll get involved in some ministry somewhere, somehow. Whether it's crisis, pregnancy, city team, BBC, doesn't matter, but they'll be committed. Uh, can explain Jesus' sacrifice in detail, understands exactly what happened there, understands sin and evil and avoids them, and not with like a first grader sort of approach, but really knows that sin is evil and really hurts God and, and hurts our lives as well. Fully understands the Bible. By the way, I don't mean that they memorize the Bible, um, you know, that they, that they know all this background information that's useful but not necessarily imperative. But they, they sort of know who Jonah was and who David was and why their lives matter. And they sort of know why Romans is in the Bible and why Revelation is in the Bible. And they sort of know some things about it. You can't know God without knowing the Bible, without praying. You know what? Here's the thing. I'm going to tell you something that's true. I don't know if you'll believe me. But you cannot interact without God without God changing your life. So the easiest way not to have your life change is just not to interact with God. You cannot rub shoulders with God and have him not change your life. If you read the Bible on a regular basis with desire for God to change your life, he will change your life. That's just what happens. But, you, but if you don't want God to change your life, then just don't do it. Just, I mean, don't do it. If you want to run the race so as to win it, you have to run the race so as to win it. If you don't want to win, just don't run. Hey, you know what? When I was like in middle school, in first service, everybody said they weren't like this. I don't believe they were telling me the truth. You guys can tell me, be a little more honest here. But like in middle school and high school, a lot of times the gym coach would come out during PE and he'd be like, okay, everybody, take a, take a, take a lap around the football field before you go in and hit the showers, right? And then he would make the mistake of going into his office and just doing something else, right? What did we all do? Did we run as fast as we could around the, around the football field? As if the coach were there looking at us and, you know, clocking us? No, we all lollygagged around talking and goofing off. That's what we did, right? Because the coach wasn't there looking. You cannot treat your life like that if you want your life to be victorious. If you want to win the game of life, you cannot treat it that way. You can't lollygag around the football field knowing that nobody's looking at you, even though you know that God is looking at you and God is knowing what you're doing. For us to be not lukewarm anymore requires us to get away from serving ourselves and just doing the minimum, but asks us to do the maximum. What is the maximum we can do for God? What is God calling me to do? What is, it's not what I, just to be clear, because maybe it's your first time at BBC, it's not what I'm telling you to do. It's, it doesn't have anything to do with me. It has to do with what is God calling you to do with your life. It is not to do the minimum. It is not to lollygag around. It's not to be lukewarm. That I promise you. And that, by the way, the Bible says too. You know, Hebrews 5, let me, I closed my Bible. That was a mistake. Uh, Hebrews 5 says this, uh, if I can find it. Hebrews 5, here we go. You know, solid food is for those who are mature, who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and, right, right and wrong. Right and wrong doesn't mean in a moralist sense in the Bible. It means what God is calling you to do and what he's telling you not to do with your life, 
Okay? And so what happens is when you gain maturity, when you move out of lukewarmness, you know what God wants you to do with your life. No, you don't know definitely what God knows. I mean, you don't know everything that he knows, but you have a good sense of what he wants you to do. You're not asking the baby questions anymore. You're teaching other people the answers. You're helping them understand. You're explaining to them what God wants to have happen um, in their life. That's what happens when we leave lukewarmness. Listen, our sin will war with us to stay ignorant of our faith. What is sin again? We talked about this last week. Sin is our rebellion against God. It is not doing what is wrong. Doing what is wrong is part of sin, but, but sin is just any time we do not do what God wants us to do. That is what sin is, okay? Um, and so the thing is, when we rebel against God, our rebellion against God, our brokenness wars with us to stay ignorant of our faith. It does, because it's easier you know, it's the path of least resistance. Our sinfulness, our brokenness says, listen, dude, seriously, you don't have to change at all because you know what? Your wife doesn't hate you. You get along okay. And you, your kids you get along okay. And you, you know, your boss is a jerk, but your job's okay. And, you know, just enjoy. Go, go golf on the weekends. Go boat on the weekends. Go to the casinos on the weekends. You don't need church. You don't need God. Just You can limbo at the end. You're limber enough. You'll make it. You get the honorable mention. You were baptized, right? Because we all know that means something, right? Well, we should know it means nothing if we don't have that commitment and relationship with God. But that's just one of the gold stars that we have that we'll show when we get to heaven. We got some gold stars. But the gold stars don't matter because the gold stars hide the fact that we are choosing to remain ignorant of our faith and choosing not to run the race so as to win it. God wants us to run the race so as to win it because he doesn't want us to be lukewarm because he doesn't want to puke us out of his mouth because we're disgusting in our behavior. You know why it's disgusting? Let me just share this again. What if you got married? What if you got married and your wife came to you and said, Honey, I'm going to be with you on Easter and Christmas, and that's it. Maybe once or twice in a year when I need you, but that's all I'm going to do. Right? Easter, Christmas, and that's all I'm going to do. And a couple times when I'm in trouble, you're my spouse. But otherwise, forget it. You're out the door. I'm not dealing with you. I don't want, I don't, I don't want any of that stuff. Right? That's what we do with God. And God's saying, look, you can do that because that's your free will and that's your right to do it. But you may very well not inherit the kingdom of God no matter if you claim that you're a Christian and do it at the same time. Because someone who's a follower of Jesus doesn't claim that and won't do that. Remember? Knowing and having a relationship with God is a commitment we do to follow Christ wherever He calls. Real quickly, if you've been a Christian for a couple years or more and cannot explain deeper truths of the faith, the bad news I have for you is that, according to the Bible, you're probably still lukewarm. You're probably still lukewarm. Because you should already have graduated up to understanding some of the deeper truths of the faith and be able to explain that to other people. This is not, remember, this is not a smart context. This is not knowledge. This is knowing and doing, okay? Knowing and doing, but you know what? It's not really that difficult. How many of you have ever had elementary differential equations? Seth, me, who else? Some of you? Okay, it's like a higher math. I'll tell you what, when I took that in college, my brain died. I failed it. First class I ever failed, I failed elementary differential equations. Calculus, I could get through with C's on, but when I got there, my brain just stopped. It was just beyond my, I just checked out. See you later, dude. My brain is sailed on and, you know, I'm just, I can't do this anymore, okay? You know what? Doing what God says is not rocket scientists, not rocket science. 
You don't have to be a rocket scientist to do what God asks. Love God, love your neighbor. That's basics, right? But then know what God's grace is and how it applies to your life on a day-to-day basis. Interact with him, follow him. Five minutes, five minutes a day makes a big difference. That's more time, that's less time than you spend in Starbucks on an average day for a lot of you, right? And it's just that little bit of interaction that will propel you forward and move you out of being lukewarm. Oh, it's not going to get you to hot. You're going to be still smoldering, okay? But it's going to get you to the point where you are able to then take hold of some heat and actually serve God and do what God wants you to do. Real quickly, we must fully understand God's plan this morning. A sign of heat is knowing and acting on God's call. God wants you to respond to him. Big part of that is knowing his call. We're out of time. Let me just mention this real quickly here. Again, the Bible says, so let us stop going over the basic teachings. Paul gives some examples. And then he says, and so God willing, we will move forward to further understanding that we will take hold of God's call for our lives. We will move on to this further understanding. We will know God. We will commit our lives um, to him. When we fully understand, we naturally serve. I've been ending here because I've been building up to the point, same same point um, I've been ending on for the last four weeks because I want to really hit it next week. But when we are on fire for God, it is natural for us to serve. It's natural for us to serve in our church, to serve in our community, to serve in our workplace, to serve in our family, to serve wherever God calls us to serve. It is natural for us to do that. We can't help but doing that because we're excited about what God is doing and we're trying to grow and we're trying to learn and we're trying to help our own lives selfishly, which is good in that situation, but help others as well. And so the calling that God has for you is to not be lukewarm. It's not cool to be the guy who's been in church 40 years and is like, the for all, right? It's not cool. We need to move beyond it. We need to move beyond it because we are not going to be of any benefit to ourselves or to our family if we can't do that. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you this morning, Father, and we, Lord, we pray for all of us here that we would not be lukewarm, that we would desire to be on fire for you. Father, I pray this morning that we would commit our lives fully to you. We would trust in you and you alone for our salvation, that, Father, we would look to you to be the perfecter of our lives. Father, we pray this morning that you would help us to, to be committed to you above all else. Lord, that we would organize our lives, you first and everything else second. And by the way, the reason is because that's the right and best way to do it. Father, we pray this morning for each person here that we would have no limbo, no lukewarm, but Father, people who are sold out for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.